All right. Well, good morning again, Crossing. So uh, what we get to do this morning, we're going to be wrapping up the series that uh, we started last week. And so you're like, wow, a two-part series? That's, that's like one of the shortest ones we've done. Well, I actually texted Eric on Saturday and was like, hey, I need another week. But uh, we've, we've been planning on this and, and going through all this for probably three months or so. So he's like, a little late there, man. But... So, so we're going to be starting a new series next week, but uh, what we're doing today is we're going to be wrapping up the series, looking at uh, the last command that Jesus gave to his disciples and to all Jesus followers, and how that command is for every Jesus follower from that point till Jesus returns. And we see what that is. I'm, I'm bad at this. It's all cockeyed and weird and everything. I'm sorry for the people over there. I got a a boo. Don't boo me, Rhett. That's the last time we give him a mic. We're never doing that. All right. But it says in Mark, I'm still way off. You guys can't. I'm standing in front of the TV. I don't know. Eric's just weird. I don't know. Mark 16, 15, it says, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. And so last week, we looked at the disciples and how when they were told this, how they responded to Jesus's words. And they saw thousands upon thousands of people come to know and put their faith and trust in Jesus. I mean, we read there's over 28 verses in the book of Acts that talk about how 1,000 were added to their number, 3,000 added to their number. Uh, The number of people were multiplying. The number of churches were multiplying. And it's just insane church growth unlike anything we have ever seen. And so uh, last week, we also looked at who the disciples were. Who did Jesus pick to kind of carry out this mission? And we realized probably one of my favorite parts in the entire Bible, Jesus was a youth pastor. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. Because 11 of the 12 disciples were actually under the age of 20. And so Jesus, that's who he entrusted to carry out this mission uh, on this earth. And so we looked at who the disciples were, and then we looked at how How in the world were the disciples, how in the world were 11 teenagers able to do all of this? And it all boiled down to this one verse, this one verse that we looked at that is the key to how the disciples began a movement that we would still be taking part of today. And it says in Acts 4.13, the council was amazed at the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men who had no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. So the disciples, they were able to do what they did because they spent time with Jesus. They had a personal relationship with him, and they let that personal relationship flow out of them into the people that they were surrounded with. And if you remember, we looked at the power of spending time getting to know Jesus through God's word and the changes that happened when people would spend four days a week in the word of God. And then we wrapped up last week uh, just thinking about our friend group, our workplace environment, our family, our friends, just our circle of influence and what it would look like if we took the final command of Jesus serious, to go and to share the gospel, to be like the disciples and to let a personal relationship with Jesus flow out of us to affect those that are around us, to be recognized as people who spent time with Jesus. And man, crossing, 
the difference that God could use us to make in this world is pretty amazing if we think about it. But here's the thing. We still have fear, right? We still have fear. I mean, last week's message may have brought some strength and confidence to some people, but uh, did anybody else, like after last week, did they just like, oh, yep, I got it all figured out and go preach the gospel with everybody? I guess I'm fired. Okay, well, that didn't work. No, but we, we still have fear. We still have those things, and we have those reservations when it comes to go into all the world and preach the gospel, right? We have fear of rejection, fear of what people might think or what people might say about us. And they're, they're all fears that hold us back from going and doing the very thing that Jesus told us to do, to share the gospel. So here's the thing. We learned last week that the disciples were ordinary, untrained men. We're all ordinary people. I mean, we're Nebraskans, yay, but we're, we're still ordinary, untrained people, okay? And we have fears, so we can assume that the disciples also kind of had some fears. Maybe there were some things that they were worried about and things that, that they were just kind of concerned with. And so how were the disciples able to do what they did? I mean, we know that they had uh, an intimate relationship with Jesus, but, but still, how were they able to overcome the fear that was in their life and to overcome it to the point where they would share the gospel with anybody at any time? time. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at uh, the same story in the book of Acts. We're going to just continue on, and we're going to see if we can uncover the key to how the disciples were able to overcome their fears and go. And so last week, we, we left off with Peter and John standing before the council, and the council uh, and the high priest, they were just furious because they had just healed the man who had been lame since birth, and uh, like they're, they're just sitting there, and they're like, we, you can't keep doing this. You need to stop sharing about Jesus. You can't keep performing these miracles. You need to stop, and, and the council is just angry, and they're furious, but they're not really sure what to do. They're not really sure how to handle these guys and what they can do to punish these guys, and so we're going to pick up in uh, just a couple of verses later in Acts 4.16, where it says, what should we do with these men? We can't deny that they've performed a miraculous sign, for everyone in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak in Jesus' name again. So the council's like, okay, everybody knows what happened. I mean, they've probably all gone to the temple and realized, hey, the, the guy that was lame that used to sit there, he's not, he's not there anymore. What happened to him? And then they see him skipping across over there, and they're like, what the, is that the same guy? And so the word has, has spread through all of Jerusalem about what has taken place and how they healed this man. Everybody knows what happened, so there isn't really much we can do to punish them, so let's just tell them to stop. Like, hey... Slap on the wrist, shame on you, stop it. Like, like that's, that's basically all that they can do. And, and here, right here, is where we get the first look at something that was different about Peter and John and their perspective that they had. It says in verse 19, but Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? 
So basically, Peter and John, they're like, um, <laughs> yeah, we don't serve you. We serve God. The council's sitting there like, you need to stop doing this. You need to stop performing miracles. Stop telling people about Jesus or, or else just stop. And they're like, um, <laughs> we're not going to listen to you. We're going to listen to God. And there's, there's that boldness again that we can see, but it, it goes even further. It says in the next couple verses, the council threatened them further, but finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. Everybody in Jerusalem knew what was happening, and they were all praising God for what took place. So if they arrested these people for doing what they're praising God for doing, it would not be good for the high priest. And so they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of the man who had been lame for more than 40 years. So here's the thing. Despite the threats, despite the arrest, the disciples wouldn't stop. And, and I look at that, and I, and I think something was different about them compared to the modern-day Christian, the modern-day Jesus follower. To endure those things and to still be that bold and just say, no, we serve God, not man. I mean, that's incredible boldness. How much does it take for us to stop talking about Jesus? Not near as much as what the disciples just endured. But, but let's keep going because there's so much more for us to unpack here. It says uh, in Acts 4, 23 through 30, it talks about how Peter and John, when they left, when they left after the council, they went back to the other disciples and the other people who were believers, and they were all kind of gathered up in a house, like just waiting to see, like, okay, what's, what's going to happen to Peter and John? And Peter and John walk through the door, and they tell them about everything that happened. And it says all the believers who were there with them began praising God and praying. And their prayer, I'm going to kind of just paraphrase it a little bit, but it, but it was something like this. Sovereign God, creator of all things, the world at one time waged war against you. And in this very city, they're doing it again. Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus. But you knew what would happen. Now, they're at it again, threatening us when we speak about Jesus. So please, God, give us boldness. Through the name of Jesus, perform signs through us to show the people that you are real. See, the disciples here, they, they realize that they couldn't face the power of the religious leaders and the rest of the world on their own. They're saying, God, the same people that came against Jesus, the same people that crucified Jesus and nailed him to a cross, the same people that were coming against Jesus and coming against you, they're at it again, and now they're coming after us. So God, give us boldness. See, just think about that. They were threatened with death. They were threatened with being stoned, they were threatened with being cast out, and instead of saying, God, please take all of this away, God, please make all of this stop, God, please make all the persecution stop, what did they do? They said, you know what? Help us to be bold. See, they, they saw the danger, but they knew their mission. 
And what did they do? They prayed to God and they said, we may be scared, but you're greater. So give us boldness. They didn't ask for relief. They didn't ask for persecution to stop. They asked for boldness. They asked for boldness to keep going despite the threat of losing their life. Man, that's incredible. And there is something different about that mindset compared to us today. But it keeps going on. And in Acts 4.31, it says, after this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with great boldness. See, if you remember last week towards the end of the message, uh, we looked at some of Jesus's last words, and there was a promise that was given in Acts 1.8 that says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And this right here, this was the fulfillment of that promise. This was the Holy Spirit being given to those who were believers in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is what gave them the great boldness to be able to do these things and say these things and carry this out. And here's the thing, crossing. The Holy Spirit is given to everyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as a gift from God, but also as a promise and a seal from God. It says in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, and now you Gentiles have also heard the truth. The good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, here it is, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. So we put our faith and trust that when Jesus died on the cross, some of the last words of Jesus when he was on the cross were paid in full. So when we put our faith and trust in Jesus that when he died on the cross, it was enough to pay for our sins, then we are given the Holy Spirit as a receipt for God to say, you are now mine. The Holy Spirit is described in the book of John as the helper. So he leads us, he guides us, he strengthens us, he empowers us, he gives us the words to say. And we need to realize that the same spirit that came upon the believers in the book of Acts is the very same spirit that is alive in the lives of those who believe in Jesus today. Crossing, get this. I want you to understand this. The same spirit that gave boldness to those facing death. The same spirit that gave boldness to those that were literally facing death is the same spirit that can give boldness to those that are facing rejection, to those that are being made fun of, and to those that are being looked at differently. Crossing, if we want to be a church that sees people meet, follow, and love Jesus, then we need to be trusting the Holy Spirit that God gave to Jesus' followers. And not just trusting the Spirit, but praying and asking for the Holy Spirit to give us boldness, to give us strength, to give us the words to say. The disciples prayed and they said, God, you know the threats that are against us. You know the things that this world is going to bring against us. You know all of those things. So give us boldness. 
See, there were active threats against the disciples. Active. They had been told to their face, you will die if you do this. Here's the thing. We don't even hear threats. We imagine what threats might be. We imagine the threats that might come, and it's enough to keep us from sharing about the love of Jesus with others. We just get in our own head, and we, and, and we hear like, oh, if I share Jesus with this person, they're going to be mad at me. They're going to get offended, so I better not. Oh, if I share Jesus with that person, they're going to be mad at me. They're going to be like, you know I'm a Christian. I go to church, and, and it's enough to keep us from sharing Jesus. It's crossing the same spirit that gave boldness to those who were about to lose their lives is the same spirit that Jesus followers today have who are facing rejection, who are facing being made fun of, who are facing somebody looking at you differently. See, we have been given the greatest tool that exists to help us do what Jesus commanded and go into all the world and preach the gospel. So let's pray, let's use the Holy Spirit, let's use the boldness that's available to us through the work of the Holy Spirit, and let's go. But here's the thing, there's, there's something else. There's something else that the disciples had that, that we don't always have. And not only do we not always have it, a lot of times we don't, we don't want it. It's, it's so easy for us to lose our focus and what our focus is supposed to be on. But, but this focus that the disciples had, this perspective, is what allowed the disciples to be so bold in following the final command of Jesus. See, immediately after they received the Holy Spirit, the story of Acts, it continues, and it tells us about what the believers did immediately after they received the Holy Spirit. It says in Acts 4, 32 through 35, it says, all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was no longer their own. So they shared everything that they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land and houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. See, the disciples, once they had been given the Holy Spirit, they all of a sudden realized we've been given everything that we will ever need in the Holy Spirit. So we see this irrational generosity here of selling their houses, selling their land, pooling their resources together to help those that are in need and to help and care for fellow believers that were in need. But here's the thing, the, the irrational generosity that we see, that's, that's not what I'm getting at here. It's not the thing that the disciples had that kept them going and sharing the gospel. But it is in effect from the thing that they had. So let's, let's continue on in the story. Acts 5, verses 17 through 40. It shares about a time where the high priests and the officials, they were filled with jealousy of all the people being healed, the number of those joining and believing in Jesus, which, I mean, it's the same high priests who already arrested them like less than a week ago, and then they, they arrested them again and stuff, and, and it's just like, they're sitting there and they're just like, you know what, I'm just sick of these guys, and they're seeing all these people praising Jesus, and they're like, I just can't, like, these people aren't coming to the temple to get their stuff, they're just going to these guys who are telling them Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and it's just like, 
ah, we just got to do something about these guys. And so the high priest, they arrest the apostles again, and they put them in jail again. But while they were in jail, get this, I absolutely love this, okay? While they were in jail, an angel sent from God opened the gate of the jail, and he told the disciples, he said, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. And in the morning, the, the apostles, they entered the temple and they began teaching. Now, this, is, this was huge. Let me explain why this was huge. The people who had just arrested the apostles, the ones who had just arrested the apostles, the temple where God told the apostles to go, the temple was their turf. That was their area. That was their place to serve. That was their area to go and to work and to do these things. And God frees the apostles from jail and says, go to the high priest's turf. Go to the high priest's doorstep. Go to where the high priests are supposed to be at and share the gospel because they're not. See, that's pretty bold of God. But that's really bold of the apostles to do it. And they did. They went to the temple and they were, as soon as morning came and people started walking through the gates, they started preaching the gospel. We see God break him out of jail and say, go to the very place where those who threw you in prison spend their time. Go there and, and share the gospel. That is bold. And the priests in the council, they were kind of gathered together, and they were just like, all right, we really got to figure out what's going on with these people. We got to figure out how we can take care of them. We got to figure out what's going on. How are we going to punish them? What are we going to do? And probably the same guy who got sent to tell them last time of what happened, he just kind of like knocks on the door. He's like, um, <laughs> um, you know those guys that you just arrested last night, you know? Um, they're not there. And they're like, what? Where are they? What, what in the world happened? Like, where did they go? And he's like, um, uh, well, <laughs> they're in the temple. Okay, bye. Okay, yeah. And so he just like kind of runs out the door. But like, and the priests are just like, no. Like, we just arrested them. We said, do not preach in the name of Jesus ever again. Stay out of the temple. And where are they less than 24 hours after we did that? They're right back in the temple telling people about this Jesus that we told them never to talk about again. That's some boldness. That's some serious boldness there. And so the high priests in the council, get this, because it's worked so many times before, they go and arrest them again. And they bring them before the council again for the third time. And the council's like, okay, guys, we have given you strict orders. You need to knock it off, quit telling people about Jesus, and just just." Stop before we kill you, before we send you out. Whatever it is, you need to just stop. And now everyone in Jerusalem knows about your teachings because you guys won't shut up. You need to stop. And this right here, this is where we see the perspective that the apostles had that gave them the ability to do what Jesus told them to do so boldly and so openly. See, this, is, this right here is the area that we lose focus of, which completely hinders our ability to go and share the gospel. It says in Acts 5.29, but Peter and the apostles replied, remember, we're talking to the high priests, they replied, 
we must obey God rather than any human authority. Now remember this. They're speaking to the council. They're looking at the best of the best, the highest of the high, the most religious, the holiest of holy, the ones who in that area had all the power. And these no-name fishermen who had no special training look the council dead in the eye and say, we don't need to listen to you because God told us what to do. Oh, you could hear a pin drop. Because you don't talk to the high priests like that. But they did. But here's the thing. It goes, it goes deeper than even that. See, the apostles, they didn't just have a sold-out dedication to God. See, there's a few things that this statement right here reveals about the apostles and, and the mindset that they had. See, when they said, we must obey God rather than any human authority, here's what it says. It says, the apostles, they knew who they belonged to, and it wasn't the council. It says, the apostles knew who was in control, and it wasn't the high priests. It says that the apostles, they knew that what the council could take from them wasn't worth more than what God had already given to them. See, the apostles knew that God was greater than anything that the world had to offer. And here's the big difference between them and us. They let their lives reflect it. They let their actions reflect that belief. See, Paul, he described this mindset as he was writing his letter to the Corinthians. And Paul, he was formerly called Saul. He was the one who would travel around and he would uh, kill Christians, stone them, beat them, tear them out, uh, destroy their families. And that's, that's who Saul was. So he saw these sold-out Jesus followers at the last seconds of their life. He saw so many of them at the last minutes of their life. And what he's doing here in, in this part, when he becomes Paul, because he was Saul, now he's Paul once he had an interaction with Jesus. He put the P into him. I was going to say scared the P out of him, but that doesn't work. So it is the other way around. Sorry, youth pastor joke. My bad. Okay, but he becomes Paul because Jesus had this interaction with him that changed his life. So here in this passage, he's describing the changed life that he has, but also the ones that he's witnessed so many times from the people at the last seconds of their life. It says in 2 Corinthians 2, verses 16 through 18, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. And this is it right here. This is it. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. See, Paul's saying we don't, we don't worry about the troubles that we face today. 
We don't fear the persecution. We don't fear the threats of death. We don't fear the the floggings and the stonings and those things. We don't fear the troubles that we can see today. Instead, we look to things that are to come. The things that we think are issues today, they're not going to matter when we die. But the things that we focus on, sharing the gospel, doing what God told us to do, those things will last forever. See, Paul, he's describing a mindset that is saying that this world isn't it. This life isn't it. There's more to this life than the 80 or 90 or 70 or however long that we have here. And what we do with that time, it matters. And it's going to affect us after our bodies pass away. See, that mindset, that is how the disciples were able to look the counsel in the face and say, yeah, we heard you when you said, stop sharing the gospel, but God told us to do it, so we're going to listen to him. Yeah, we heard you when you said you would kill us. We heard you when you said you would flog us, but God told us to do it, so we're going to do it. See, their eyes weren't fixed on the worries of this world. Their eyes were fixed on the eternal life that is available to all of us through Jesus Christ and what is promised with the seal of the Holy Spirit. Like I shared earlier on, we worry about the opinions and the words from others, and it keeps us from talking about the love of Jesus. Now, just imagine this with me. Just imagine, because this is, this is kind of a funny picture if you think about it. Can you imagine if the disciples would have feared what we fear? If, if the disciples are standing before the council, they're standing before the council, and the council looks at them and points at them and says, if you don't stop talking about Jesus, we're going to reject you. If you don't stop talking about Jesus, we're, we're going to tell everybody and nobody's going to want to talk to you. If you don't stop talking about Jesus, we're going to get really mad and tell you not to talk to us anymore. Can you imagine if that's what the disciples were being told? It sounds silly, doesn't it? But it's exactly what we do. And here's the thing, Crossing. If you're listening online, if you're here, here's what I want you to do. You can talk about this with your family, your friends, your life group, whoever. But before you leave today, I I want you to be thinking about this question. This question right here, I want you to think of it because every one of us has an answer to this question. So, So think about this. What is it exactly that we're afraid of? What is it that keeps us from telling people about the love of Jesus? What is it for you that keeps you from telling your coworkers about the love of Jesus? What is it for me that keeps me from telling my neighbor that I see outside every single day about Jesus? What is it? See, we're letting our eyes be fixed on the things that matter to this world, our reputation, the way that people are going to look at us. The way that people are going to think about us and maybe talk about us when we're not around. We're letting our eyes be fixed on the things of this world rather than fixing our eyes on the things of God. Crossing, 
that is how the disciples were able to do what they did and be used by God in such bold, amazing ways to reach thousands. Why can't we even just reach hundreds? I mean, look around at how many people are here. If everybody here agreed to share the gospel with one person, <laughs> that's over 100 right there. God was able to use 12 to reach thousands. Why are there churches of thousands not even able to reach 12? Because this is how we live, in fear with our lives, focused on the things of this world rather than the things that are unseen and the things of God. See, crossing, everything we've gone over the past two weeks is how the disciples were able to be used by God to do so many amazing things and, and reach so many people. And here, this, this kind of breaks it all down into the, the three main parts here. The disciples spent time with Jesus. They let an intimate relationship with Jesus flow out of them into the people that were around them. The disciples, they had the power of the Holy Spirit, and they set their minds on things from above. See, crossing, you realize, and I really hope you realize this, that those three things that helped the disciples reach thousands, that helped the disciples be so bold to look in the face of the ones who were saying, we will kill you, and say, we serve God, not you, those three things are available to all of us today. Right now, those three things that allowed the disciples and empowered the disciples to change the world, they're available to us. That if we trust in Jesus and his death on the cross, that his death on the cross was enough to pay for our sins, that we have the gift of the Holy Spirit that we can spend four days a week, like what we talked about last week, four days a week learning and growing in an intimate relationship with Jesus, and that we can stop worrying about the fears and the worries of this world and focus on the only thing that matters that God called us to do. Everything that was available and used by the disciples is available to us. God has given it freely to us because he wants to use us to do the same things he used the disciples to do, and that's change the world for him. Crossing, the same spirit, the same spirit that empowered the disciples to share the gospel in the temple, the very temple that they were flogged in and arrested from, the same spirit that filled them as they were performing miracles in Jesus' name, the same spirit that brought them peace as they were sitting in prison, the same spirit that gave them the words to say, the same spirit that God gave to those who walked with Jesus is the same spirit that is alive in every Jesus follower today. The same Jesus that the disciples spent time with and watched perform miracles and watched walk on water and watched be crucified and watched be raised from the dead is the same Jesus that is available for you and I to know intimately, to love desperately, and to serve wholeheartedly. 
The same mindset that the disciples had, the same mindset of I must serve God, not men. The same mindset of I will fix my eyes on things from above rather than the worries of this world is the same mindset that is available for you and for me to have crossing. If we want to be a church that wants to see people meet, follow, and fall in love with Jesus, this is how we do it. This is how we do it. The mission of this church that God gave to the leaders when this church was established was, we want to be a church that sees people meet, follow, and fall in love with Jesus. This is how we do it. This is how we carry it out. Can you imagine if we were a church that's relying on the Holy Spirit daily to lead us into whatever God calls us to do? To be a church that's daily on our knees pleading for those who are lost. To be a church that has the mindset of the disciples, focused on not the worries of this world, but the things that are to come. And to be a church that falls in love with Jesus day after day after day after day. That crossing. That is how we do what Jesus gave as his final command to go, to share the gospel with everyone. That is how we live out our mission to see people meet, follow, and love Jesus. And you may be here today, and you're not a Jesus follower. You're like, you know, I don't really buy into all this stuff. I'm not really sure. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. Don't look to Jesus' followers. Look to Jesus. If the reason you are not a Jesus follower is because of people and what people have done and what churches have done and what people have said and what churches have said, then you're looking at a bunch of sinners, not Jesus. Because here's the thing. We may have the Holy Spirit, but that doesn't mean we're perfect. And you know that. And we know that. Sometimes we forget as Jesus followers that we may be the only picture of Jesus that people see, and we're not always very good pictures of Jesus. So if that's you, and you're here, and you're rejecting Jesus because people, then you're not looking at Jesus, and I want to challenge you. Look to Jesus, not the group of sinners that Jesus saved and died for. See, God, he created us to be with him. We're created to be in intimate relationship with God. But because of our sins, we're all separated from God. Every single one of us, because we all have sin. It's whatever we do, think, or say that goes against God. We've all done that. And sins, it doesn't matter how good of a life you live, they can't be removed by good deeds. Doesn't matter how good of a life we live, doesn't matter how many times we go to church, doesn't matter how many times we share the gospel with people, it doesn't matter how good of a person we are. Mother Teresa had sins. Everybody has sins, and they separate us from God. But paying the price for those sins, Jesus offered up his life, and he rose again. When he was 
nailed to that cross, he was saying, I'm taking the punishment for your sin. I'm taking it so that way you don't have to. And every single person who trusts in Jesus and when he died on the cross, that it was enough to pay for your sins. We have life through Jesus. Not because Jesus died for it, but because Jesus rose from the grave and the life that is in him is the life that's available to us. And life with Jesus, it starts right now. And it lasts forever. So crossing, let's live that life. Let's live the life that Jesus died for us to have. Let's live the life that empowers us to tell everyone about the love that Jesus has for all. Let's be a church who truly is on mission to see people meet, follow, and fall in love with Jesus, to quit worrying about the things of this world, and to focus on things that are so much greater. And let's be a church that follows the final words of Jesus and goes and preaches the gospel with everyone. Would you pray with me? Dear God, I just thank you so much that even though we sin, even though we fail, you still love us. We don't deserve your love, God, but you still love us desperately, and we just praise you and thank you so much for that. God, I pray that you would help us, give us strength, give us boldness to do what you call us to do and to go, to share with others what you have done for us and for everyone, God. We just thank you so much again for loving us. Help us to live our life for you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.